First Chronicles chapter number 21 this morning, and I want to read about half the chapter. It's not too long, but a few verses here. And I want to preach about a time in David's life where he made a decision that I believe forever changed his life. Now, you can go to a lot of places in David's life and say that, but I believe that a lot of those changes and decisions he made were bad decisions. And certainly the 21st chapter of the book of Chronicles, it opens with a bad decision, but it ends in a real good way. And I believe we can gain some help from it this morning. First Chronicles chapter 21. I'd like to begin reading at verse number 14. The Word of God says, So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. And God sent an angel into Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. And David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on thy people that they should be plagued. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David, and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord." Thou shalt grant it me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. And King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price, For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David gave to Ornan for the place six hundred shekels of gold by weight. And David built there an altar unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into the sheaf thereof, At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness, and the altar of the burnt offering, were at that season in the high place at Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Now I want you to look back at verse 18. Let's read this and then we'll pray and preach. The Bible says, Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan 
the Jebusite. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that you have afforded us to gather together. Lord, in your house, with your word, with your people, Lord, and with your spirit that indwells those of us that know your Son as our Savior. I pray this morning, Lord, that your will would be accomplished. Father, we know you have a will for us this morning. We know you've not brought us here for no reason. So, Lord, help us as we endeavor and seek to be surrendered to your leading and to your will to glorify you in all that takes place. Lord, we love you now this morning. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I read in First Chronicles chapter 21, I feel like oftentimes the message we're going to preach this morning gets lost in the midst of all the grandiose events that are taking place. If you were to go back and read from the beginning of the chapter, you would find uh, that David had uh, determined to number the children of Israel, not just the children of Israel, but in particular the army of the children of Israel. And uh, he sends Joab, his uh, chief, to go out through the land, and months they spend, nine months or so, uh, counting all the people and reckoning who that they are. And Joab comes back and he tells David the number of the people. And then God speaks from heaven. He pronounces a judgment upon David. And he tells David that because of his sin, and we'll talk in a minute about why that's a sin, he says, because of your sin, you have a choice now to make. I'm going to judge you and I'm going to judge Israel. And you have a choice as to what judgment that you're going to get. Now, God's a, God's a merciful Father, isn't He? I don't think I ever got that choice growing up, amen? But uh, maybe the belt or the switch, but that was about it. And the Lord tells David, says, you can either have three years of famine or you can have three months of, uh, of the sword entering in and you fleeing and running from your enemies, or you can have three days of pestilence that I will send upon the nation of Israel. And so David makes his choice, and he, he says it'd be better if I was in the hand of the Lord than in the hand of anyone else. And so there are a lot of fascinating things that are taking place in this chapter. But I think if we're not careful, we'll miss the great significance. And it's found for us down at the end of the chapter. And I want you to notice it again with me. It says in verse 28, At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness, and the altar of the burnt offering were at that season in the high place at Gibeon. So the tabernacle is not in Jerusalem. The place of worship is not readily available to David in his time of dire need. And so he sets up an altar by the commandment of the Lord. It says this, but David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. So David comes to a place in his life where it's no longer sufficient just to go to the house of God to sacrifice. He must now have a place of sacrifice right where he's at. And I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. It's time for an altar. Let me tell you something. If ever there was a time for an altar, I believe that time is right now. I thank the Lord for the, for the privilege of preaching this wonderful group of people. I, I rejoice in, in the good time that we have in the house of the Lord and the work that He does in our midst and in our heart. But let me tell you something, friend. If your uh, relationship with Christ is no bigger than these four walls, if it does not leave beyond those double doors when you leave out of here, then you're not going to make it as far as standing for Christ in these days that we live in. There must be more to your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I want you to notice a few things by way of introduction. I want to ask this question. How do we know when it is time for an altar? For 500 years, the altar of God had been a traveling thing. We might even call it a nomadic thing. Wherever the tabernacle sat, that's where they sacrificed. Wherever the tabernacle went, that's where they went if they wanted to worship. But now David comes to a time where he says, that's not sufficient. I have to have a place where I live where I can meet with God. How do we know when it's time for such a thing. Well, look back at the beginning of the chapter, and I want you to notice three things with me. I want to say first off, look at verse number 1. The Bible says this, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Let me say this, that when Satan is standing, then it's time for an altar. I don't think we've ever lived in a day when Satan stood against the church in the way that he does today. Now, some of you would be very quick to say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. What about days when they were fed to the lions? What about days when they were crucified? What about days when they were, uh, when they were burned at the stake? Let me ask you something. Which has the church weathered better, persecution or prosperity? Oh, my, think about that again. Which has the church weathered better, persecution or prosperity? I'd suggest to you that this morning Satan is doing his dead-level best against the church. And he's not doing it through a a crucifixion cross, and he's not doing it uh, through the persecution arena. Friend, he's doing it through the apathy and complacency and worldliness and carnality that is infecting the everyday local body of believers that we call the church. We're living a day when Satan's standing against us. I mean, listen, there was a time when you could actually get alone and have some quiet time with God. Now there's always something beeping and buzzing and rattling and ringing. There was a time when you could spend some time in prayer. Nobody would bother you. You could tell your family, tell you, but now we're all plugged up and hooked up to everything and everyone. And now it seems as though there is always something vying for our time. You look around at a world in which it's plain to see we are in the minority as far as, as ideology and and Christianity is, because there's no question about that. Uh, people say, well, what about the silent majority? Well, let me tell you something. If they're really Christians, they won't be silent. I, I would say this, that that silent majority that everybody is talking about of Christians and the moral majority and all that, I think that faded away a long time ago, my friend. I, I believe we're living in a day where there are very few people that truly know the Lord Jesus Christ and truly love Him and truly want to serve Him and truly knows what a relationship with God means. I think Satan's standing today. I think we need to be careful. I think it's time for an altar because we've got an adversary. Oh, man, I I don't know. Maybe we got got too many people. Half y'all's going to have to leave for us to have church. I say when when we have an adversary, and we have an adversary, and he's walking about seeking whom he may devour, he's looking for you, he's looking for your kids, he's looking for your marriage, He's looking for your home. He's looking for your spouse. I'd say while we've got an adversary, it's time for the altar. I think when Satan is standing, let's see if you'll like this next one better. Look at verse 2. The Bible said, And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Now, it's very interesting what Joab answers. Look at verse 3. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people an hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass in Israel? Now, let me ask you something. Why was it a cause of trespass? I'll tell you why it was a cause of trespass. It's all because that little phrase that David says, he says that I may know it. 
See, up until this time, David knew that God knew who the army was. David knew that God knew who was going to take up arms when the battle came. God had prospered Israel. In fact, you ought to look at the numbers of how many hundreds of thousands of soldiers that they had at that time in the kingdom of Israel. Never before had it been at such great a a pinnacle of splendor and military prowess as it was right now. But you know the problem? David said that I may know it. Let me say, first off, when Satan is standing, it's time for an altar. Let me say that when strength is in self, it's time for an altar. You know why David wanted to know it? Because he thought that'd make him rest easier at night. David wanted to know it so that he could put another feather, another plume in his helmet and ride out to battle and brag about how big his army was. He wanted to know how many were there so that he could recline back and say, look at us and our military power. We know that the battle is the Lord's. Didn't you learn that as a young boy? When he stood toe-to-toe with a nine-foot giant, And God sent like a cruise missile, sent that stone right where it needed to be to slay that giant. And David in that very hour had said, hey, the battle is the Lord's. It's not mine. And now David's saying, well, now, wait a minute. Maybe we better take a head count, see how strong we really are. Let me tell you something. When we get to the place that we think we can do it, it's time for an altar. When we get to the place where we think it's all about our machinery and our mechanisms and our methods, it's time for an altar. When we get to the place where we think that the wheels of this machine turn by anything other than prayer, we need an altar. I'll tell you something, if anything's done in this house today, it'll be God that has to do it. You look at a weak, feeble preacher uh, with a weak, feeble message, with no ability, with no intelligence uh, to speak of, with no charisma to speak of, you look at somebody that is bankrupt of any ability this morning. And if anything's going to happen, it's going to have to be the God of heaven that does it. We need to get to the place where we realize, man, this thing ain't about me and you. I mean, let me tell you something. We can have the best, we can have the best musicians in the world. Or you could have the best preacher in the world. We could have the nicest everything in the world. We could have the friendliest folks in the world. But if God doesn't get in this thing, then nothing's going to happen. I think, I think when strength is in self, that's a, that's a good time to say, let's look for an altar. But then look down at verse 14 and 15. Don't get excited. It's just an introduction. It says, uh, It says in verse 14, So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. Think of that. 70,000. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Let me say this, that when Satan is standing, it's time, time to find an altar. When strength is in self, it's time to find an altar. But let me say this, that when the sword is slaying, I believe it's time we found an altar and got on it. Let me, you with me this morning? We okay? I'm talking about when the judgment of God has entered against our family. I'm talking about when we're watching our kids walk out the back door of a church and say, I'm done with that foolishness. I'm talking about when we're seeing the devil come in and just traipse through marriages like he owns the place and cause division and strife. I'm talking about when we're seeing families blown apart. I'm talking about when we're seeing things go down the tube. It's time to find an altar. The judgment of God had set out against the nation of Israel. And God was slaying them. And you, you can read in Second Samuel 24 and you can find out who that angel is. I know who he is. But suffice it to say that when we stand at all with God, God will get our attention. 
And when God's gotten our attention, it's time to find a place where we can meet with Him and get some help and where we can get some things done. I see in this passage three reasons that might cause that. But I want you to notice a few thoughts with me. And and if you ain't going to help me preach no better than that, I'll just close. No, I'm joking. I want you to notice in these next few verses the commandment of the altar. Now, why was it that God had commanded for David to build an altar in this very place? Now, God seems picky about it, doesn't He? Look again at verse number 15. He said, says, The angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Look down at verse number 18. It says that the angel so had told to, to Gad to tell to David to set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So God doesn't say just any old place that you pick, David, any, any, any flat hill that you can find, any place that looks good to you, set up an altar, but He gives a distinct place that He wants David to build this altar. I wonder why that is. Well, I found three things I want you to notice. I want to say, first off, the reason that he picked this threshing floor is because it was a memorable place. Now, as you read this passage, that, that name Ornan may not mean anything to you. The term Jebusite may not mean much, but there is a term that I can give you that a lot of you, if you've read your Bibles, you're going to remember. I want you to listen to what it says in Second Chronicles chapter 3. Just one verse, the first verse. It says this, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, listen now, in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father, in the place that David had prepared, in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Now, some of you say, well, what does that mean to me? Well, I don't know if you remember, but I bet if you recollect over in there to Genesis chapter 22, you'll find that the term Moriah is quite important. You see, it was upon Mount Moriah that God had commanded Abraham to take Isaac, his son, him, his only son, whom he loved, and to take him up upon Mount Moriah and to offer him there for a sacrifice unto the Lord. It was up that hill that Isaac, in a type of Christ, was the obedient son, bearing upon his back the very wood that he'd be sacrificed upon, submitting unto the will of his father, and willingly going to the place of death. It was there that the angel of the Lord reached out and grabbed the hand of Abraham and stayed the knife from slaying Isaac and told Abraham that his faith had been seen and there was another one, a sacrificial one, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, whom the Lord took and gave to Abraham. And Abraham laid on the altar and slew him. It was there that the Lord preached the gospel unto Abraham. It was there that God made known unto Abraham His plan for a vicarious substitutionary sacrifice in the place of sin-fallen and sin-sick man. It was there that men had started to worship. See, David wasn't the first person to build an altar in Moriah. And no doubt it was not lost on him that this sacred place was the place where God had pledged in picture, in prophecy, in type, had vouchsafed the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and preached that glorious truth to Abraham. You say, what does that mean to me, preacher? Well, let me say this. If you're here lost today, you know why you need to come to the altar? I don't mean our altar. If you want to come to ours, that's fine. I mean the altar. I mean the meeting place with God. I mean in the depths of your heart, humbling yourself and speaking to an almighty God. Do you know why you need to do that? Because that's the place of salvation. That's the place of salvation. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be at this altar or any other altar, physically speaking, to be born again. But everybody, if they choose to come to Calvary, they humble themselves before God, confess themselves a sinner, and ask Christ's forgiveness. 
See, that's where it starts for you. If you've never had that, you've got nothing to worry about as far as the rest of this message is concerned. Uh, if, hey, if you've never been to that place, all this religion stuff don't mean anything to you. If you've never been to that place, don't worry about Christianity. Your say, your fate is sealed. Your destiny is determined. Your eternity is damnation. If you've never been to that place, then you need to get there today. I think because it was a memorable place. I would say uh, that the Lord chose that place not only because it was a memorable place, but because it was a merciful place. You see, David looked up and it was there that the sword was stayed from destroying Israel. He said, Preacher, why do I need all this private devotion time and prayer and getting along with God? I don't have time for that. I'm busy. Why do I need that? Because that's the place where you obtain mercy. When you come in quietude and, and, and secretude of the heart and you come and you pray and you ask God's forgiveness, that's where you find mercy from the Lord. Let me tell you something. If you, if you ain't got an altar, then uh, there's a lot standing between you and God as far as your relationship is concerned. Oh, my. Lord, help me preach and y'all help me too, okay? If we confess our sins, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, you didn't miss that first word, did you? If, if, if we do that, well, what if we don't? Well, if we don't, then sin lieth at the door. And it stands as an obstacle between us and our communion with God. Now, if you've been around here any length of time, you know what I believe. You know I believe that we cannot lose our salvation. If you ain't been around here any length of time, let me tell you, I believe you can't lose your salvation. And God does too. (laughs) I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about hindering your walk with the Lord. You say, preacher, why do I need to come to that altar? Well, let me tell you something. Before you ever pray for your kids, before you ever pray for your spouse, before you ever pray for your country, you ought to come confess and forsake your sin at that altar place and get your heart where it needs to be. Our prayers don't mean much when we're living a life of sin. Our prayers don't mean much when we're living a life of sin. I think we ought to go there because that's the merciful place. But then let me say, thirdly, I think that God chose that place. Or I think, let me put it this way, I think David chose that place because God chose that place. I'd say because it was a memorable place and because it was a merciful place. But I would say that that altar was built there because it was a mandated place. God had commanded David. Let me just put it this way. That was enough. That's all it took. Uh, you know, God, God shouldn't have to say it 8,700 times for us to get it in our head. If God says, hey, this is what you need, then we ought to just go ahead and reckon that that's what we need. We can have all the excuses. We can do all the arguing that we wish to do. We can have all of the good excuses as to why we don't have time, why we don't have time to pray and read our Bible. And, well, you know, I mean, we, 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 we pray 20 seconds at a time throughout the day. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we read the Bible when we're on Facebook. And, we, you know, we got all the excuses in the world. Let me tell you something. At the end of the day, it don't harm anyone more than it harms us. I'm saying that if God says we need that, we need that. Why that place? Because God said that place. Now, did God say that to you and I? I don't know. Uh, He did say this, to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. He He did say this, to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He did tell us that we ought to maintain this relationship with Christ. You know how he told us in John chapter number 15? He said, abide in me. Can I just say, if you want a little clarification, when we're talking about the altar, we're talking about abiding in Him. 
And when we're talking about abiding in Him, we're talking about the altar. And not this altar, and not any other altar, but the altar of your heart as you come before an Almighty God and as you spend time alone with just you and Him. I see the commandment of this altar, but I see there was a cost to this altar. There was a cost. David had to buy this altar. Let me say there is a reality to that cost. In other words, everything costs something. Oh, my, I'm about to make some people. I, maybe I won't. I don't know. Uh, how many of y'all are over 25? Raise your hand. All right, I won't make y'all mad. Maybe the folks under 25 I'll make mad. Let me tell you something. You know, you know part of the problem with this whole politics of more entitlement, more entitlement, more entitlement, more entitlement? Is I, and I, somebody ought to tell them. I don't know if they know this, but somebody will have to pay for that. You know, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. People say, you for free college? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm for free college. I'm for free college. I'm for free cars. I'm for free clothes. I'm for free food. I'm for all of that. But that ain't the way the world works. Somebody's got to pay for that. Somebody's got to pay for that. If they can get them tenured professors to forego their salary, hey, I'm <laughs> more power to them. But somebody's going to have to pay to put the lights on. Somebody's going to have to pay to keep the, the hallways swept. Somebody's going to have to pay to keep the teachers teaching. I'm saying that, that things are great, but things cost something. And an altar's no different. An altar's no different. It's going to cost you something. Nothing was ever done for God. Listen carefully to this. Nothing was ever done for God with spare change or spare time. It costs something. You say, I don't have time. Well, make time, neighbor. This is more important. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be unkind. But you say, I don't have time. Well, you better make time. Because this is more important, friend. It's more important than your cup of coffee in the morning. It's more important than your Egg McMuffin. It's more important than checking Facebook. It's more important than getting that extra ten minutes of sleep. It's more important than those things. And you're going to have to. It costs something. It costs something. If you don't have time, you're going to have to make time. You say, well, you know, I'd, I'd give the Lord. I just ain't got money. You know, my daddy taught me something when I was young, and I've never forgot this. Uh, people say, well, I, you know, I just don't have money to tithe. My daddy taught me you don't have money to not tithe. You don't have money to have the judgment of God against your finances. <laughs> you know, I mean, listen, if you're one of these multi-billionaires, you know, if you're Bill Gates, maybe the judgment of God could go out against your finances. You'd survive. But you, son, you're poor. You'll starve to death. The judgment of God comes out against your finances. You say, I ain't got time to read the Bible. Well, what do you have time for? That's the question. What do you, if you don't have time for the holy, infallible, inspired, inerrant, preserved, life-giving Word of God, then what do you have time for? Catalog your day. Take a little inventory. You'd probably find that you spend a little time watching TV. Hey, I'm not against TV. I'm against a lot of things that's on TV, but I'm not against TV. Uh, they say it, 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 that it adds or takes away 10 pounds. Which is it? Oh, I'm against it then. <laughs> I don't need any help in that area. I'm, I'm not against but you probably spend a little time watching TV. That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. You probably spend a little time reading. I hope you did. We're going to raise a generation of kids who don't know what a book is. I, I hope you did. There's nothing wrong with that. I read, you know. I, my, well, my wife has to help me with the big words, but I read. There's nothing wrong with that. Let me ask you something. What exactly is it that you do have time for seeing you don't have time for God? Just stop and think about that for just a little while. I, I, I could keep going. We could talk about church. We could talk about giving. talk about a lot of things. But point blank, you need an altar place. 
You need a time that you're getting along with God. You need prayer. You need the Word of God. There's a reality. But I would say this, that there's a responsibility to this cost. You know what David says? Ornan comes to him and he says, I, David, I, I want you to have this, this threshing floor. I want you, I'll just give it to you. I want you to have it. Boy, isn't that good? Don't you love it when folks uh, pray for you? Don't you love it when, when folks pray for you, when they, when they take a little time at their altar and spend on you? Isn't that wonderful? I, I love hearing people say they're praying for me. I love it even more when I think they meant it, you know? I, I love it when folks pray for me. I think that's good. Ornan said, I'll give it to you, David. David says, no, no. This is something I've got to pay for. I'm not going to give the Lord something that's been given from somebody else. You know what the truth that he's trying to convey is? I'm not going to give God something that didn't cost me anything. Oh, man, there's a lot of preaching right there could be done, especially as it relates to the way we give to God. I wonder if our tithing is just the spare change out of the ashtray in our car. I wonder if the spare change is just what's left over after we've done what we want. Or I wonder, I wonder if our tithe, if our giving, I wonder if we feel it. I don't think God needs our money, do you? I think God wants us. And I don't care who you are. You know, you hear them talk about a pound of flesh. I mean, when you give something to yourself, it hurts. Ladies, somebody say amen to that. You've had kids. Somebody say amen to that. It hurts. It costs you something. But David basically says this. I know it's going to cost me. But it's no one's responsibility to pay this but me. If I want to worship God... I'm going to have to give something up to do it. Let me tell you something. It's good when folks pray for us. But I wonder if you're praying about the things you're asking other people to pray for for you. Say that again. I was a little fast. I don't think you got it. If you did get it and didn't like it, amen me anyway for, to help me, okay? I wonder if you pray for the things that you ask other people to pray for for you. Say, preacher, pray for my kids. Are you praying for them? Preacher, pray for my spouse. Are you praying for them? Preacher, pray for my health. Are you praying for it? You praying for it? Preacher, pray for the church. You praying for the church? Hey, I, I don't have a problem with me praying for the church. I'm all for it. Let's pray for the church. Are you praying for the church? Say, preacher, pray that their soul saved. Are you praying their soul saved? It costs you something, and it's nobody's to pay but yours. Nobody can pray in your stead except the one that is seated at the right hand of the Father that prays in your stead. But you've got to pray to Him. Nobody else is going to come in and do it for you. I know we live in a generation where if something's broke, you just leave it long, long enough, somehow come along and fix it. That's the way that the world thinks now. But your relationship with God is not that way. It's on you. Hey, if you, if you want a prayer life, you're going to have to set aside some time. Nobody's going to make you do that. I made up my mind, listen now, when I started pastoring, I made up my mind that I wasn't going to be a babysitter. It's not my job to make your relationship with God what it ought to be. It's my job to preach. It's your job to eat. It's my job to set the table. It's your job to slide up your legs underneath it. I can't make you what you need to be with God. Nobody but God can make you what you need to be with God. And you have to go to Him. Nobody else can do that for you. Let me tell you, let me, let me preach a word to us young people. Us. I mean us. Us young people. That's got families. There, there's, listen, there's going to come a day, the story will be told on our family. 
the story will be told. It'll be written. It'll be done. Finish will be written over how we've raised our kids and what we've done and the influence that we've had. And it's all good and well to, to wish that they're raised in a house that prays and, and goes to church and, and, and loves God and teaches them how to give to the Lord. That's all good and well. But you and me, we have to make that happen. No one's going to do that for us. We have to make that happen. It's our responsibility. David said, I'm not going to give anything that didn't cost me something. It's going to cost me. But then I, I want to notice that there is a richness to this cost. 600 shekels of gold. I don't know how much a shekel is, but I ain't even got one shekel of gold. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you can go through and you can get the conversion charts and the monetary and all that, but how do they really know? I know this. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was a bunch. It didn't just cost them a little. It cost them a lot. wonder if David ever felt cheated. wonder if as he stood there... And, 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 and warmed his hands by the glow of the fire from heaven. I wonder if he ever thought, this wasn't worth it. I don't think he did. I think as he stood there and he saw the fire fall from heaven, he knew that a holy God had heard and answered his prayer. He said to himself, 600, I'd give six million for this. If that I may meet with God and God might meet with me. I'm saying this. People say, well, you know, that's just too much, preacher. I mean, you know, I, 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 I go to church Sunday morning, but I just ain't got time for all that other stuff. I got to. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. I'm not being ugly. I, I'm not. And, and there is a, a sense in which I'm speaking in experience in the short life that I've lived. I don't regret anything I've given to God. I don't regret anything that I've done for Him. But let me say that it is an irrefutable, scriptural, ironclad, immutable truth that God doesn't stay in debt to anybody. If you give your time, you'll get, you'll get what it's worth and more and more. There was a richness to this cost. But then I want you to notice finally, we see a commandment and we see a cost. But notice the consequence. What happened because he built this altar? Well, there was three things that I noticed. I want you to notice first off that it bound the strong man. We don't hear about Satan standing up now. Now that David is kneeling down, Satan's not standing up any longer. Now, what did Satan try to do when he stood up against David? He provoked him to number the people. What? In pride. In pride. He tells David, you number the people and you, you, you depend on that number and you'll know you've got a bunch of people and you've got to stand an army and you're ready for any enemy that there is. But now here is David. He's scared to leave this altar because the sword is hanging over Jerusalem. I'd say this. I'd say in David's life it bound the strong man. It put Satan at bay because he built an altar. Preacher, what can I do? Let me tell you something. I know, I know, I know the direction this world is going. It is not lost on me. I got the same book that you got, I hope. And, and, uh, and I've read the back of it and I know how things end and I understand that, that things ain't going to get better, but evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. I'm aware of all that. But let me tell you something. Just because this world's going to hell, that don't mean your family has to go to hell. Just because this world is going to hell, that don't mean that your standards have to go that way. I'm aware how bad this world is getting, but let me tell you something. Let's not just wring our hands and, and, and throw our hands up and give up and say, Oh, well, I can't keep my kids right. I can't keep my home right. I can't. It's just too much. Because I believe with an altar placed right in the heart of the family, I believe Christ can gain victory in our homes and in our lives. 
I believe Christ can gain a victory in our marriages and in our children. I see in David's life that when he got an altar, Satan had to sit back down and couldn't have the influence he wanted to have. I see that it bound the strong man. I see that it barred the slayer from going any farther. The angel of the Lord stops. We could talk and preach about why he stopped, and maybe one day I will. I believe he stopped. Listen now. I believe he stopped. I said someday, but that meant now. I believe he stopped because there was blood crying from that ground. The blood of the sacrifice of that one that had been given so many years ago. And that, you know, Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. God had provided a way and provide. And I believe when, when, when the angel of the Lord, and we know who he is, when he came in judgment, he stopped at that place. Because judgment had already been paid there. I believe that when an altar was placed, it barred the slayer from coming any further. I can't promise you if you go home and pray tonight, all your problems are going to go away. I wouldn't tell you that. It may be that your problems is really not there for your persecution. It's there for your purification. I don't know. I'm not going to promise you your debt's going to go away if you go home and pray. I'm not going to promise you that you and your spouse are never going to get into it if you go home tonight and pray. But I will promise you this. If you'll go home and confess your sins and forsake them, or if you'll find a place here and confess and forsake your sins, the judgment of God will be assuaged in your life. I promise you that. You may suffer things, but let me tell you something. I would a lot rather suffer things in the will of God than suffer things out of the will of God. Listen, if, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna break down and get sick tomorrow and have to lay up in a hospital bed, I'd a lot rather do it in the will of God than do it out of the will of God. If I'm gonna have to go through, if I'm gonna have to lose somebody I love, if I'm gonna have to deal with strife in my home, I'd a lot rather do it in the will of God than do it out of the will of God. I'm not promising you problems ain't gonna come, but I promise you this, the judgment of God will depart. You'll be able to face those things in faith and in confidence. And finally, I want you to notice, and I'm done. I'll hush. I promise. I mean it that time. Not only do we see that it bound the strong man, it barred the slayer, but I want you to notice finally that it built the sanctuary. If you were to turn over to the next chapter, you know what David says? David says, I can't build this house. God won't let me build this house. I'm a man of war. I'm a man of shed blood. Not only blood during wartime, but I killed Uriah, and God won't allow me to. But I've got a son. He's coming later. And when Solomon gets here, I want him to be ready to build the house. So I don't want him to spend the first 50 years uh, trying to learn the things that I learned. Oh, my, ought that be a lesson to us? Our kids ought not have to spend the first half of their life learning the same lessons and mistakes we had to learn. I know sometimes they go their own way. I don't doubt that. But let me tell you something. We ought to have a testimony and a lesson to give. I don't want Solomon to have to spend the rest of them years, so I'm going to start laying up in store. And it was in that very place. It was in that very place... (laughs) that the chief cornerstone was set down and the temple was built. You say, where are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying this. A future generation worshipped because David built an altar. A future generation worshipped because David built an altar. You got, you got kids? You got grandkids? Hey, you got adopted grandkids. I, I know how things are. If you'll build your altar now, you might find out that they'll worship at it later. I don't mean an altar to you. You know that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you'll have a relationship with God, you might find out that it'll get into their life later. 
You might find out. I'm not, I understand it's their relationship. You understand that too. But I'm saying there's no question that godly influence makes a difference. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, there's no question about that. You say, that's not scriptural, their relationship. Well, let me ask you, what was it that Paul said to Timothy when he talked about his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois, and his unfeigned faith that was first found in them? What happened? They had a faith. And Timothy saw that faith. Timothy, Timothy said, I want that faith. I want that. That's real. That's genuine. I need that in my life. Let me tell you something. It might be that our children, we don't have to worry about losing them if they're seeing the fire of God fall on our altar. They were seeing a real, vibrant, dynamic relationship with God. That's what young people are looking for, man. Looking for something real. Young people want something. They'll, they'll reach out and touch a hot stove just to feel something real. They're looking for something real. Let me make a second application. Not only did it build the sanctuary in the sense of the heritage of their children, uh, but it also built the sanctuary in the sense of the house of the Lord. Let me tell you something. What happens in these four walls has a lot more to do with what happens in your prayer closet and my prayer closet than it does with the choir or the message or anything else. It has a lot more to do with what you're doing in your time with God and what I'm doing in my time with God than what goes on in these 45 minutes or so. So let me tell you something. Until we get to that place, I think it's time for an altar, don't you? Let me just say it that way. I think it's time for an altar. I hope you believe it's time for an altar. Satan is standing. We, we're, we're putting our, our strength in ourselves. The slayer is slaying. The sword is not departing. The judgment of God is on our nation, on our homes, and, and on our lives. And I think the only answer is to find an altar and a place where we can meet with God, ask His forgiveness, and beg His blessing, and meet with Him. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, the altar is open this morning. If you want it, to bring your altar to this altar, I want you to slip out of your seat. As the musician goes to the piano, preacher, pray for my kids. Where's your altar? Where's your altar? Preacher, pray for my marriage. Where's your altar at? Do you have an altar? Are you asking me to pray for something that you're not praying for? Preacher, pray for the church. Where's your altar at? As she begins to play, this altar is open. And if God's touched your heart, why don't you make your mind up today? Hey, listen, mamas and daddies, our children can't build altars. So many of them are young, they don't know how, they don't know they need to. They're looking to us for an example. If you don't build the altar in the home, there won't be an altar built. Are you reading the Bible with your kids? Are you reading the Bible? How are they going to know they need to read the Bible? They're children. Are you reading the Bible with them? Are you praying with them? You say, well, that's none of my... Ba-. Hey, it's exclusively your business, Mama and Daddy. Say, Preacher, I just I ain't got time. Well, what you got time for? What's more important than that? I'm, my preaching's done. The altar's open. God's spoken to your heart. I want you to come.